Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials. Hello, uh, welcome to Read the Future Conversations, episode two. Uh, today we have Marcy Laurent. Am I saying that right? Marcy Laurent? Laurent. Laurent. Is that French by any chance? It is. Oh, wow. So, Marcy Laurent. Um, well, welcome to Read the Future. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Hi, Derek. Well, thank you for having me. Um, as Derek said, my name is Marcy Laurent. I am currently the Director of Development for a nonprofit called St. Joseph the Worker, and our mission is to assist homeless and low-income and other disadvantaged individuals in their efforts to become self-sufficient through quality employment. Um, that's, we've done that for over 33 years. We have a housing component. We have a team workforce component, and it is an incredible organization with an incredibly gratifying mission that I'm very happy to be a part of. Oh, wow. Um, also, it, when I've been in Phoenix on and off since 2007, and I spent 10 years overseas in Taiwan and Hong Kong, and I actually pivoted from the contract manufacturing um, operations, environment, and e-publishing to philanthropy um, just over 10 years ago when I was in Hong Kong. Marcy, that is, people don't do that very often, pivot from industry to a non, to philanthropy. I mean, you said you, you were from, um, you came in the valley 2007 that was the uh, first time. yeah we had done a stint in taiwan and hong kong for about five years and we moved from i'm from the bay area in california now more popularly known as silicon valley and um so we moved when we moved back stateside we moved to arizona then so like i mean like personally like what sort of like triggered you to make that career change you know because that's not even career that's an industry change like you went so like was it more of like um family or was it just like life events that Um, well i so we were here for four years and i went back overseas to hong kong for six years between 2011 2017 and i when i went i had been working um and continued to work in my industry in different capacities which was the manufacturing and um and I loved it. It had been a great career. But when we went back to Hong Kong in 2011, I really wanted to change. Um, I had always said from when I, I had wanted to be a teacher early on, or I wanted to work in the nonprofit realm. I just wanted to help. I thought I was maybe going to become a counselor. That was actually my first career track that I thought I was pursuing. <laughs> and I was in California and I was you know, single for a long time. And I thought I will never, ever be able to own a house. I'm not going to be able to survive <laughs> here. I have to work in the for-profit world. But if I ever get stable enough, I'm going to go back. If I ever get stable enough, I want to go back and then I'll become a teacher or then I'll go back and work in the nonprofit um, sector. And that's basically what happened. So you had this all figured out. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I, mean, I, had, 
I, when it, when it started happening, I remember having those conversations with myself that I hope someday that I'm in a position to just be able to focus on giving back. And okay. so I feel incredibly grateful. So I, how did you find um, St. Joseph the Worker? Was it, I mean, it wasn't Google, right? I mean, like, I was sort of you like, know, <laughs> you know, when I came back to Arizona in 2017 and I had switched to nonprofit and philanthropy um, while I was overseas, I realized that I had no contacts. I had no history in the Valley with anything um, with regards to nonprofits. So I really, I just sort of started over. I, I said, I'm going to volunteer for a year, which I did. I grant wrote for people. I helped them with fundraising. I got on a board um, right away. And it was actually um, that I, and I got to work and meet. I joined the Alliance of Arizona Nonprofits, which in Arizona is an important organization that every um, nonprofit should be a part of, in my opinion. Um, and I met people and I ended up meeting my future boss, um, as we sat on the same board and that board was for the homeless ID project, which is still an organization that is near and dear to my heart. They focus exclusively on getting ID documents for um, homeless individuals who lost all of their documents or that they've been stolen or, you know, all those kind of things, because you can't do anything without an ID. So the biggest issues back then were like, um, from your perspective, I mean, I, I mean, was, the lack of a database to really um for homeless individuals that didn't really have that identification like because my question is to really understand what issues were um prevalent um when when you were coming to to the valley or like which issues did you wear you was it homelessness or was were there other like educational um so, challenges that were personal good to question you? derek it's a good question um i had no idea what the issues were in the valley because when i had lived here before i had worked remotely and i continued to work in my old industry i was very familiar with the in- issues in hong kong for instance. Um, and I knew that um, international philanthropy is very different from domestic stateside philanthropy and nonprofits. So that is why I joined the Alliance of Arizona Nonprofits to become more familiar with the whole landscape and start to discern what the really salient issues were for the valley where I live. Um, I, I was a huge proponent and involved in women's and girls empowerment. Wow. Interesting. I like, okay. (laughs) That is where I kind of, my heart was. And so when I ended up, um, but I always, you know, I'm like, of course the homeless, that's a a big problem. Um, I would love to learn more. So I really did it from a, just a very open-minded standpoint. Like, let's try this. I don't know a lot about this. I know how important it is, but I don't know what I don't know. And I just sort of dove in and I'll tell you, I believe, I truly believe we end up where we are supposed to be. Um, why, why is that from like, that, that's a really like, I think spiritual like statement, just saying uh, you yeah. end up where you're supposed to be like, <laughs> because yeah. you did, I mean, like you ended up where you, I mean, like, you were like, okay, I want to get stable first and then go back into non-profit. So is that like a spiritual um, like perspective from of yours? Well, I say that it's, it, it says a lot about intentionality. Intentionality. And then I will say that absolutely there's a huge faith component and certainly how I conduct my life now. Maybe not when I was younger so much, but that is a huge part of how I conduct 
my life now. And I know in my life that plans I've made for myself were far inferior to many of the things that ended up happening and being the plan for my life. And if I had tried to choreograph that, I would have screwed it up. Okay. So I- <laughs> <laughs> Taking some some um, life advice here now. <laughs> Don't plan it. <laughs> Set intentions and then be open-minded to what the universe um, has in store for you because it might be way better than what you can imagine because our, our minds are so limiting, right? We're so limited by our own thoughts and experiences. Right, right. I mean, like, just sort of like focusing really more of like, I mean, you move through the valley and then you were like, okay, I'm in the same um where am i going or like what do i have to learn sort of sort of state in your life right but then again you also had so much you know like with the whole um um working in um supply chain you said or like working in in contracting so like at the time in the value was that really not the biggest um was that an obstacle where you were like, okay, time to transition, time to pivot? Or were you really looking at like how to really now focus in on giving back in the community or solving social problems? The latter, the latter. Okay. I think by the time I came back in 2011, we we were start, which was dramatically different than when, when I came the first time in 2007. But we are, um, Arizona has done a really good job about diversifying their economy and certainly from the standpoint of someone who's from Silicon Valley and had their first um, career in tech, um, we have lots of great career options now here. We've got so much um, depth and breadth in the Valley when it comes to electronics and oh, tech. Like how does that sort of like, how does that perspective like help you at, or like how did your family really support you? Because I mean, that, you just mentioned fate there and fate isn't really an individual journey, right? Like how did, how did really like your family really help you like, you know, see that? Or, or deliver that, that impact? Well, that when it comes to my first career, um, they, my, I come from pretty, um, a very, very modest beginnings. Very, my family struggled a little bit with money. I went to, um, you know, all public schools and sometimes not very nice areas of um, San Jose, city of San Jose. And um, my family was very focused on me getting a job that could where I could support myself so all of their motivations and encouragement was around financial um, self-sufficiency which is ironic of all about what my organization does now because there was a lot of fear around my growing up about not being able to afford to live okay so that is one of the reasons I ended up doing what I ended up doing and I had a great career and I was really fortunate and I was fairly successful I would also <laughs> Um, when I pivoted to nonprofits, um, I just, I really was ready to, to put that to bed and wanted to just focus on knowing my community, understanding the needs in my community and giving back in an impactful, meaningful way to my community. I'm sure like the, the Valley is very, like, you know, grateful that you chose Phoenix instead of, you know, Silicon Valley. I don't know if they are, but I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, 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 if I was the mayor of Phoenix, I'd be like, Marcy, thank you for uh, doing all that, but I'm not. <laughs> but thank you nonetheless. Um, but like to really not go as to like all of, I mean, like at St. Joseph the Worker, like, I mean, your passion, your commitment, as well as your 
background experience, there's actually, I have you seen some issues that have really been um like solved in in your time here in the valley just by you know being at so have you only been at some just of the worker or my view. I've been here you for said about three and a half years, and then I was at Homeless ID for a couple of years, but I've only worked in this valley, although I did some um, side work for um, a cancer support group, a drowning group, you know, I've kind of done some different things in some different areas, but my my primary focus has been all around homelessness since I've been back. Why homelessness? Don't mind me asking. I, I don't well, see I, the I, connection. As I said, I kind of fell into it, and I... At the time, I thought, well, this, I know how great of a need this is. Um, how can I contribute? But I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know if this is going to be a great fit for me, but I'm going to try. I want to see, you know, I see the need. Um, and basically, you just fall in love with some of the people in the, you have such a deeper understanding for what real struggle looks like. I mean, I have family members now, unfortunately, who've, um, you know, struggled with addiction and homelessness. And I just understand it on such a deep level. Um, I mean, half of our staff here at St. Joseph the Worker has been homeless um, mm. in recovery. Interesting, so they yeah. walk the talk. They know, you know, they really understand. And what I, my, what strikes me um, and where I feel so passionate is that people, most people want to help, um, but they, it's so overwhelming. For, they don't know how to help because the problems are so overwhelming. And um, one of the biggest things about being in this position in St. Joseph the Worker and working in the homelessness arena is man, getting in front of as many people as possible to bring them down for a tour, to talk to them about some things that you just wouldn't ever even consider because our lives never, ever go there. Right. And it's just, you know, what, what does someone do if they don't have an ID? You know, they lost their job. I say everybody is a hair, hair's breadth away from being homeless. It is a personal tragedy, a lost job, some sort of emergency, and your whole life falls apart. And all of a sudden, you're where you never, ever thought you would be. So that is very humbling. Right. Um, and that makes me continue to be passionate because I don't see um, a huge difference. I mean, I just see where it's just not as remote as people think it is okay. um, to anybody. And in terms of it being solved, um, homelessness is such a complicated and nuanced problem that um, it will take many different solutions for many different subsets within homelessness to create a real solution and my fear is and will always be that we'll never be willing or able to spend the money that's needed to really execute a true solution that's just economics it's uh, i mean like economics really is like the umbrella into a lot of you know like um social issues um i mean but to really not change the topic a little bit we have a lot of you know like refugees coming into the country coming into arizona we, we also have a workforce shortage you know but chances are that some refugees also end up in the homeless category yep. um, um due to um certain um sort of from economics to um education from education to housing uh, but also um really having that um can you help me out here? Like, uh, I think the word is still really um, like involvement, right? Or that engagement. Right. Uh, like, 
I would like to it's interesting that you bring that up. And it's, of course, incredibly relevant right now with everything that we've seen recently with Afghan refugees coming after that horrible exit from their country. And now what we're seeing in Ukraine, not for us so much as for um, Europe, you know, right around the Ukraine, Russia region. Um, I know I, I actually went to deliver some clothes to a refugee help organization just last week um, for a client who'd been working kind of with us and with them to get a job. So there's most definitely a crossover. Um, we have not seen a lot of refugees on our campus, primarily because they, my belief that is that they have specific organizations that work with refugees, and there's usually a language barrier. So the groups that are working with lang um, refugees are with people that can speak the language, communicate, because one of the most horrible things for someone who's already in a situation where most refugees are here, where they're leaving an unsafe situation, where they're going to be hurt or killed if they stay in their own country and things like that, um, you know, they come here and they have nothing and they can't, you can't communicate. And that is a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling. If there was a way, I would like to see if there is a way for St. Joseph, the worker to um, more, to be engaged with some of the refugee help groups. Um, but I need to become more educated on that. I think like that is a really brilliant perspective to really sort of like see how a homeless um, um, organization that is driven to really be a vehicle for career growth with the homeless community um, also be a resource for um, refugees. Um, but to really not focus more into um, more as to Morris's um, background in terms of, you said your last name is French, right? My, that's my married last name. My my maiden name is McAllister, which is um Scottish. Right. So like those uh, that those components also really uh, merge into this question, which is where what issues in Arizona like from from diversity sort of uh, to to inclusion, but in terms of like economic mobility, what what are some of like the biggest hurdles or solutions do you really see yourself like um tackling um like later down the road? Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to think that I'll be in a position to help tackle some of those big things. I think um what we do at St. Joseph the Worker, you know, empowering people, basically creating opportunities, breaking barriers down for them and creating opportunities or, or connecting them with opportunities where they can gain economic empowerment through employment and start to live on their own steam and not be reliant on a public system or something is, is a big part of, um, you know, economic equity, I guess you would say, but there are so many barriers in being in this environment, Derek, that I see that, you know, once, once you're in a disadvantaged category from the standpoint of economics, um, and we all know that, you know, um, Black, African-American identifying people, Latin, Latinx identifying people are um, way overrepresented in disadvantaged economic categories, right? Um, once you are just in one of those categories, everything is exponentially harder for you than it is with anyone who's been given the slightest bit of hand up, whether that's they had parents that were supportive of their school, 
You know, that is huge. People don't even think about how much that that is. You know, maybe someday we'll get community college that's free or trade school that's free and that'll be a big deal. But all of these things that seem like they're minor to a lot of people are absolutely game changers and they're complete barrier blocks for people that have no resources or are already in a disadvantaged situation. They can't get the education because they can't afford it. So they're in the dead end job and they're only going to go so far. So they're in the cycle where they're they're always going to have a crappy job where they can't afford their life. They're always going to be on the precipice of homelessness if something happens because they just can't get that help to get them ahead. So like, is that really more of like a government problem, business or individual problem? problem and and from the individual point of view like the level of education you have sort of dictates but not limits um your success in life and and most people that really have that literacy deficiency also have similar um cycles or like dead-end jobs as you said so is that really more of a government or is that really more of an individual um solution uh yeah, what, what you're talking about is what we talk about a lot here about um, you can do a lot of things to help people, but you can't give them self-motivation. Okay. You can't make them want something if they don't want it. If they don't want to show up to work every day, for, in our, you know, for instance, with St. Joseph the Worker, there's not a thing you can do to make them motivated to show up. And they won't be successful until they can have that self-motivation. They can drive individual, it themselves. Individual solutions. In, yeah, so individual is huge. However, there are so many things that play into that um, culturally and, uh, you know, again, where you're already at a, such a huge disadvantage that all of the messaging that you get and all of the signals and things that you get from a session early age just to sort of put you at a where you've already decided you'll be a failure so you just don't even go there. And there, that's a, something that we can work um better on a systemic level i think so like the individual component now is like man say somebody is struggling with alcoholism and they are on the brink of going homeless due to like they, uh, they spend majority of their income at casinos or or the, the liquor store what sort of like individual is it therapy or is it more of like um self-awareness like is it the lack of for, it's all for everyone derek really it's right, right i don't know <laughs> i'm learning a lot yeah yeah, we follow a recovery model here, which is what you, you hear about for people with substance abuse and different addictions, um, just because regardless of whether you have an addiction issue, um, the things that they talk about in recovery are 100% true for everybody's life 100% of the time. And that's personal accountability. It's being responsible for yourself, doing what needs to be done, regardless of whether you like it or not you know, things like that. So until you get to a headspace, wherever your challenges are, where you are ready to do what needs to be done and you're ready to take personal accountability for your successes and your failures and not blame other people, even if you've had a horrible, horrible life and so many people I know have, but until you stop blaming and you just take responsibility, that's when you get your power and that's when you can move forward. I mean, like that really sort of like mesh into really why um, you are so su- successful in your life. I mean, like I mean, like from from where you started um, in Silicon Valley, 
um, you really had that like that accountability mindset, right? Where you were like, you know, I really need to get this financial stability going on before I can really go out and um go into the community, which I think was a successful approach. Um, I'm like, how do you sort of like transfer that success now into those who you're working with at some just just the work the worker? Well. You know, the only way I can say that that translates, my experience translates and how I chose to do my career journey or work journey is in that um, you start, you again, intentionality, you make a plan and you sort of work the steps and it's okay to start where you are and be in a certain place knowing that that's not where you want to stay. In fact, that's a good thing but sometimes you just have to be where you are and do the work and show up every day and, you know, make additional fun, always be mindful of opportunities, always look for ways to better yourself. Always. There's so much free stuff out there now. If you have access to a computer, you know, um, always look for ways to be ready for when that next opportunity comes your way, or at least have a good shot at it, have that mindset. And that, that definitely goes for our, um, our population that we work with as well. We sometimes say you need a starter job just because your life has been filled with so much trauma um, that you need to just have something where all you really need to do is show up every day and work. And once you do that for a while, you create that habit and you create that little success and you can go on to the next thing. And then you create that success and you can go on to the next thing. So that's, that's how we approach it with our clients. And that is, in essence, what we all do ourselves, you know, right. here and there. Right. I mean, and all of that components make a better society. I mean, like make better workforce as well as make a better economic mobility and really... Um, so not to really boil it down to the closing statements here, um, uh, to really... I'm trying to get your take on why why is literacy vital to you? Like how how has that word literacy really been um a critical I think tool in in your tool in your um in your life? I mean just well, I love language and I love words. I love <laughs> communication, and I was literally having a discussion today with my boss about the intentionality of how we use our words. Obviously, I'm using the word intentionality a lot. Um, but literacy is one of those so basic and foundational things. If someone doesn't have basic literacy skills, um, I mean, they're worse off than I think a blind person or a deaf person, you know, they, they just to have basic literacy, um, it just, it's the gateway to, I don't know, everything, I think. It's so, so, right. so important. And I know adults who, um, in my generation, um, when they didn't have all the services they have for um, kids with like ADD, for instance. Okay. Um, and then they just thought they were stupid. They were told their, their whole lives that they were stupid, so they quit school early and they can barely read and write. That's sad. That's very unfortunate, right? Very sad, yeah. But literacy is just an absolute must. And in all the ways that we fail as a society in creating 100% literacy, we have to do better. And I'm so glad. I know teachers and different groups. I'm so glad. The people that I know that are in that arena, I have so much faith in them. Is, it gives me hope. Is the lack of literacy from 
your own personal like knowledge as well as you know in your own um, professional life is a lack of literacy one of those um obstacles that you deal with with um the homeless that come in or is it more of like um like okay they can read and 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 we just have to um guide them into really now getting that full-time job yeah it's rare that we have someone who's got no literacy at all usually they're going to have some trouble filling out a form and they don't read well something like that um and you know we know this ahead of time and a lot of jobs luckily don't require um you know, if it's a trade job or something, a, a labor job, they don't require it. It's not necessary. They just want someone who's a really good worker. So yeah, we absolutely take those kind of things into consideration and we work for best possible placement and best possible chance of success and best possible salary and best possible career path. And we try to place our clients. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, you really sort of like, I think uh, we can narrow it down now into like our last question. Okay. Um, well, Marcy, I mean, tremendous career. I mean, like tremendous life outtake on really how to deliver impact to your community. But final question here is, um, what what sort of regrets do you have or don't you have and why? Sorry, can you ask that question again? Yeah, what sort of regrets do you have or don't you have and why? I mean, um, and then uh, to close it off with, um, how can people get get in contact with Marcy Laurent? Okay. <laughs> well, regrets is something, and maybe I'm a little too far from it now, but I'm, I'm just not a big believer in regrets. Again, there's, I think, that faith component. Uh, I believe you are where you're supposed to be. Um, and this life is very much a journey and, uh, you know, you don't make all the right decisions and that's part of it. And it's what you get out of it. I, I can't imagine. I, I like myself. It took a lot of pain and turmoil and work to get to where I am today for all the things I am and all the things I am not. And um, I, I just there's nothing that sticks out to me that really is something I regret. You know, maybe if there's anything I I wasn't, I wish I had been more confident in my youth. I wish I hadn't been, I feel like I was ruled a lot by fear in my youth and, um, you know, like fear of not being able to support myself. (laughs) There's a good component to that too, but, you know, I wish that I had just been more confident. I wish I had had the faith that I have now then. I think, I wonder what I would have been capable of. Fascinating. I mean, but yeah, how can people get in contact with uh, Marcy Laurent um, at St. Joseph the Worker? So um, you can, if anybody happens to listen to this and is in, in need of a job or employment services, you can call 1-844-SJW-JOBS. That's S-J-W-J-O-B-S. Um, and one of our amazing and talented and passionate staff will pick up the phone and help direct you to whatever you might need. And we give, you know, things like gas cards and, and um, clothing, work a full week's worth of clothing if you have a new job and you can show proof of it, you know. Um, transitional housing for people that are who are working and unsheltered and who who um, qualify and things like that so if you're interested and you need a job or employment services please call that number for me um any questions you have or just want to chat more about what st joseph over is um my email is m at sjwjobs.org so that's m l a r o n t at sjwjobs.org 
I think we're gonna like put your contact email on the um flyer just in case <laughs> it makes it easier. <laughs> but but yeah, Marcy, thank you for coming on with the future conversations episode two. Um, your your perspectives are like I mean quite valuable, and we look forward to really working with you further in the future. Thank you. Sounds great. Thank you. Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials.